This is Hans Finzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. This is a show for leaders about real-world leadership solutions. Whether you're a seasoned leader or just starting out, I promise to give you practical leadership tips that you can use this week. No matter what your leadership situation is, I can help. Remember that every follower needs a healthy leader. My passion is to help leaders lead more effectively. Welcome to today's show. We're so glad to have you, and I'm very excited today in this episode to do something brand new that I haven't done before. Uh, in the last few weeks, I've been thinking, wouldn't it be great to interview some leaders out there and uh, not just hear my voice, but hear the voice of some other great leaders? And uh, so today's the first opportunity for us to interview a leader, and uh, our topic today is the leader's heart. And if there's one thing every one of you have in common out there that are listening is you all have a heart. And one of the great challenges in leadership is to keep our heart fresh and to keep our heart alive in the midst of the pressures of leadership. I don't know where you're at in your leadership, whether you're at the top, in the middle, at the bottom, just part of a leadership team. Uh, we don't know where your heart's at, whether it's just thriving or whether you're struggling. But I'm happy today to have Peter Pendell as my guest on the Leadership Answer Man. And Peter, entire career, was a senior pastor and uh, in Basking Ridge, New Jersey in Millington Baptist Church in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. Welcome, Peter. Thanks, Hans. Glad to be here. Glad to have you on the show today. And uh, Peter, you were the pastor there. I was at your uh, retirement celebration. Was it 30 years that you pastored that church? At that church, it was. Isn't that amazing? That wasn't your first church, but my hat is off to anybody that would faithfully and successfully pastor a, a local church there in New Jersey for all those years. You did a great job. The other thing I just want my listeners to know is uh, the way you and I got acquainted as you were uh, on my board of directors when I was uh, the CEO at World Venture. And uh, how many years did you end up serving on my board? Well, I served 18 years, but that was broken up into three groupings and part of the time you were still on the field. Yeah, in that in that crazy 18 years. You had the record when you finished up on our board for having the longest tenure of leadership on the board of our directors of our ministry which is uh 70 years old. And you were the chairman of my board most of the years that I was the president and CEO and I, just before we get into the issues of the heart which is the the core of the show today, I just want to say thanks again for, you know, I learned a lot about how to be a, a good board member through you and whatever you uh, president of a in ministry, whatever company owner, whatever um, ministry leader, whatever pastor wants as a chairman of the board that is his partner that works with him and not against him. And uh, no matter uh, all the ups and the downs that we went through in all those years, I just thank you that you always had my back. I tried hard. I love doing that. Uh, just a quick survey of your career in ministry. Well, I started out after I came home from the Air Force as a new follower of Christ and, and wanted to stay in the real estate business, but I uh, really was compelled to go back to school, get ready, and went to a six-year time in a church in Austin, New York, and then came down to Basking Ridge in 1981 and retired in uh, November of 2010. Yeah, you and I uh, did some traveling together internationally. I remember when you and I went to Japan, and it was in Japan where uh, God first got a hold of your heart. Could you just That's give right. us 30 seconds on that? <laughs> yeah. I, I was a, a wayward guy who came from a good home, knew better, but got involved in alcohol and running hard, and uh, really came to the end of that, that rope at, uh, when I was in, in the Air Force and realized this wasn't leading anyplace. 
uh, through a number of different people, came to an awareness that I could have a personal relationship with God, could be forgiven and set free for a new life. And that's what happened June 8th, 1966. I was never the same. That's so awesome. And it was so great to be there in Japan with you to kind of yeah. retrace some of those steps. And, you know, my, my daughter, Cameron, just got married a couple of weeks ago. And yesterday I was going through some of her own stuff. And I found this photo book from 2005 where I had taken her with me to China. And lo and behold, we're in Hong Kong. And all of a sudden, you're there in all the pictures. <laughs> and I had forgotten. That I remember that well. That was a great trip to Hong Kong and uh, yeah. Manila and the Philippines. But anyway, let's get right to the top. Topic of, of the heart, reviving a leader's heart. When did you realize your heart was growing cold as a leader and a pastor? I guess it was when I started to think about moving on to another church. And it wasn't just because there were opportunities. I just felt overwhelmed and ineffective. When I look back on it now, I, I guess the best way to describe it is to say that my bucket was empty. The funny thing is, I didn't even think about my heart growing cold at that time. I've been at the church 20 years in, at, at that point, and I just thought I needed a change. Lots of guys changed. Lots of women changed. I thought that would do it for me. So you thought that the you didn't really understand the, what the symptoms were pointing to. So let's get to the symptoms. What were the symptoms of a heart that's uh, growing? I don't know if we want to say it's growing cold or growing flat or growing empty or dry, but what were the symptoms? Let me give them to you, and I've got four areas that I usually talk about, and I talk about this with a lot of uh, different groups of people. I had just, first of all, run out of steam. I I lacked creativity. I didn't have any patience. I wanted to go home at night and, and not come back in the morning, and everything was a chore, not the delight that it had been in the past. That was a, that was a very uh, apparent problem for me. A second place it came out was with tremendous conflict in my staff. The, the problem is, I thought it was them. In fact, I thought it was one guy in particular who I had recruited out of the business world. He had come and he had served, but boy, he was just turning in another direction as far as I was uh, concerned. And I thought if I could just straighten him out, or better yet, get rid of him, I'd be fine. But funny thing, I didn't have the inner strength to confront him. So it was kind of a blame game. You were yeah, projecting, really you know, my heart's got the problem because of this person. And and funny thing is, after we got through all this, he was doing the same thing towards me. <laughs> but that's the way it <laughs> typically happens. Uh, the third area where I can identify is that I had flatlined emotionally. I didn't have highs. I didn't have lows. Uh, as I had looked okay, but there really wasn't much going on inside of me. And then the, the last area was not a, not a surprise, and that is my relationship with God had been reduced to a duty. It was hard to call it a relationship. I did what I had to do, but boy, there was just no joy in doing it. So that was really what led me to realize something's wrong. Okay, and then you, uh, I think uh, I think it's cool that you uh, quit blaming and, and kind of turned the uh, spotlight on your heart. So, so what did you do about it? Tell me about your journey. I, I kind of watched you walk through this, but uh, how did you begin on a road to recovery? Because I didn't realize it was the heart, and I thought it was... Uh, all my training and my gifting and experience, I tried to fix it. And I had always done that. I went to good schools. I got great training. I thought that would surely give me a chance to get over this hump. Uh, one of the things that I did that was especially crucial and turned out to be overwhelming was I, I recruited a mentor. He was a, uh, a businessman, uh, early retired CEO, had a lot of energy, a lot of ability, did a great job in the corporate world. And so in agreement with him, he volunteered to do it. He was a part of the church. He gave me things to read. 
he sent me to seminars uh, that I could attend. Uh, and we had time together each week to talk about what I was learning. And he coached me during that time. And <laughs> I tell you, Hans, I tried. He tried. But I finally realized that that we were both trying to make me into something that I wasn't meant to be. And that was a full-fledged CEO. I was a pastor. I needed to be a pastor, learn as much as I could about CEO. But I was driving myself and everybody else crazy. And that's really when the turning point came. You know, this is this is so good because you knew you had a problem, <laughs> but you were using the wrong toolkit to solve the problem. <laughs> yeah. and, and it was a great toolkit for somebody else. Yeah. So you began to realize, wow, we're really just uh, not fixing the real problem. So how did you... So so you said you were overwhelmed by this guy and this process, and you realized it was an exercise in futility. You didn't feel good and natural. It didn't seem to be the right thing. So how did you start going toward the truth and the right problem that you could fix? Well, really, two things happened. One was I gave up on uh, his mentoring, and I, you know, he was a volunteer, but I fired him. I, said, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm driving myself and everybody else crazy. And it meant that he and his wife left the church, and, and I understood that, but I just couldn't do that. The second thing that happened, though, was that the guy who was most problematic for me on staff confronted me, of all things. And now, what did he confront you? that I wouldn't have used. I thought it, but I wouldn't use it, and told me I needed to get some help. Wow. Now <laughs> How's that? that? How, I, up? Yeah, I've been there. I've done. How did How did that make you feel? Oh, man. I was so angry at him, but but boy, I'll tell you, his words really pierced through, and I knew that I needed somebody to help me think about these things and uh, get to the bottom of it. So um, I naturally referred people to counselors in the past. That was a part of my responsibility, and, and I loved doing that because they got good help. I could never have seen myself going to a counselor, but that's what I started to do. Excellent. Yeah. I, I always like to say everybody could use a little therapy <laughs> and some oh. of us more than others, you know, just to have yeah. somebody that's totally private that you can really pour out your heart to can be a very good thing. Yeah. And it's so hard to do it. It's so hard to admit that I need to go to somebody that I send other people to. That was really hard for me. Mm. Yeah. But you did. So it. I resisted it for a time, but then I called my my favorite referral counselor and said, I need some help getting through some things. Can you see me? And we made appointments and it took about six months of working with him every week uh, before he released me, said, I, I think you can go ahead from here. And uh, he set me free from that. That was the first thing I did. And maybe the most important. Okay. What else did you do? I started reading books about the heart because it was soon becoming evident that my heart had grown cold. It, it wasn't just my mind. Uh, which had been where I went in the past, you know, I filled up more information. That was the problem with the mentor. I needed something that, that reached into the heart. And the funny thing was that I had talked about the heart many times, looking at it from the Bible's perspective. And and the best best term I can use with the heart is that it's like a reservoir at the center of us. It, it's what everything comes out of. At least that's what Jesus says. And when I looked at my heart, it was not dirty and polluted, it just wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't beating well. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was not in good shape. And I realized that my my lack of emotional highs and lows was a, a heart issue. My inability to deal with my staff and reflect upon my own responsibility was a part of the whole thing. And and surely my my relationship to God was. So I started reading 
but I started reading in a different way than I'd read before. I started reading in, in a reflective way, trying to take a page at a time, and that was all I could handle. Hmm. Now, seminary didn't teach me to do that. It taught me to read as many <laughs> books as I could, you know? As fast as you can, right? <laughs> That's right. And read for illustrations to give to other people. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> but um, when I started reading books like The Sacred Romance, uh, John Eldridge, I, I realized that this this is for me. This is something I need to... I need to figure out and assimilate. And so I had to read very, very slowly, make a lot of notes on the margins, reflect on the meaning of what he was saying for me. And that was a major part of my uh, my recovery. Mm. Uh, the, the last thing I did, along with the counselor, uh, somehow, I guess the guy who confronted me, he was a real part of the solution to this problem that I thought he was the cause of. But he got something called Grief Recovery Handbook, a uh, a, a volume written by uh, a man, a James and a Friedman. And our staff went through that together with a very, very uh, effective trainer. And that helped me uh, find out what was going on in my own life and what was going on in my own heart. When I, when I talk about grief recovery now, I, I talk about it as something like having a backpack filled with stones that have come from the disappointments and the the relationships that haven't ended well and the, dis- and the, and the heartbreak in life. And, and we carry those stones around. And what grief recovery is, is a way of taking those stones out one by one and, and dismissing them from our backpacks. That was a major step in the right direction. Uh, I will have a, in my show notes a, a reference to that book, The Grief Recovery Handbook, because uh, you turned me on to that and you've helped walk me through it. And sometimes people may hear that and think, well, that relates to the death of a child, the death of a spouse, the death of a loved one, you know, generally. But yeah. you helped me realize, uh, you know, a whole lot of listeners out there. I had somebody the other day who said, you know, you've talked about all the people that don't finish well and that <laughs> leave the ministry and they crash and burn. How can we we help them and when that happens when a leadership situation blows up in your face or you've you've had failure and you've left sometimes there's a lot of anger right and a lot of bitterness and a lot of uh, stuff you have about the people that you were with and then you left and i know you really helped me with that a lot uh, to understand that's also grief yeah absolutely it's easy to carry that to the next setting the next job and 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 have it attack you again so, uh, yes, I, I love your illustration of the backpack. And I know you told me when I uh, had my recent career shift that Hans, you know, deal with your backpack before you go on. And yeah. you, I'm not sure all the rocks are, are out, but, <laughs> but I got rid of a lot of the big ones. So let's talk to those leaders who uh, feel burned out today. What would you recommend to leaders out there that are listening who just feel, man, my heart is cold. It's like a rock and I'm going through the motions of my journey job, but I have no joy and my heart's just not in it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I, I think what, what a leader needs to do is be courageous and do the hardest thing first, and that is talk to somebody who understands these things. And it could be a pastor, it could be a friend, or it could be a good counselor. My first time with my counselor friend, we established that I was going to be a client now, not a friend. That was good for me. But my first word to him was, I don't know what's wrong, but something's missing. And he's a good counselor, so he knows how to get this stuff out. And, and that's the beauty of a good counselor. But he just asked the right questions. And I, uh, you know, I, I had gone back to a wonderful childhood with him, and I began to see the things that contributed to my people-pleasing and things like that. Um, 
A good counselors, boy, worth their weight in gold. They really are. Yeah, so I, I, I agree with you. And, and just uh, go talk to somebody. And it's different than an executive coach because I've had some exposure to coaches, and that's a good thing too. But sure. they don't really uh, dig down like a counselor does, and they don't are actually. You know, when you get trained to be a coach, you're told not to give solutions, but just right. to <laughs> draw people out. But a counselor, to me, is much better at just. Um, peeling back the layers of the onion of your heart and then that's helping right. you deal with that. So, okay. So yeah. that's the first thing. Do the hardest thing first, talk to somebody. And, and in fact, you, you're going to have to find the right person to talk to. If they come back with ways to fix it, you've got a problem. You've got to get somebody else. And if they come back with, well, just try harder or go on a vacation or take a sabbatical, it's probably something, somebody else you need to talk to. So that'd be the first step. Uh, find somebody who really understands these things. The second one is slow down and learn how to reflect. I hate silence, Hans. <laughs> it's really hard for me to sit in silence, but that's what I needed to do. For me, worship music uh, helps me the most with that. Uh, certain books read slowly and reflectively are, are just tremendously helpful to me. Along the time that I was doing this, I, I reached out to a couple of guys. And one guy uh, was in our church. He was a he was a truck driver. I know he had gone through hard times. And I said, I really need you. And, and he said, what do you need me for? Uh, I said, I, I need to talk to somebody who knows what it's like to have their heart broken. So we started getting together and talking about the books we were reading. And, and we recruited two other guys who knew something about it. So those those guys, they helped me walk through this. And they were incredibly valuable to me. You know, uh, let me just say again, that's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice you're giving today talk to somebody yeah, yeah don't be an island don't hold all this in and and don't rely on your spouse if you're married yeah. right that's right that's right well, yeah. why is your spouse not the best solution to this problem this is terrible to say but i'm not sure we're always honest with our spouses right. especially men we want to be strong yep so to to talk about how much you're hurting it was not a problem for me but some men the wife may be a part of the reason why the heart is, is like going <laughs> yeah. to sleep, you know? Yeah, we, and <laughs> we want to be the problem, warrior but... and we want to be the provider if we're That's a man. Right. And and our wives can get pretty rattled if we uh, <laughs> if yeah. we get too, yeah. if we become too unglued. And I, I'm just a huge, you know, you helped me so much in my journey. And I've got some other really close friends. But just uh, those of you who are listening, please don't just try to solve this on your own talk yeah, to somebody right. the last thing i wanted to ask you peter is um what about all those that have bailed out i i heard this statistic you know the other day from the um the barner research group and and uh, the fuller institute and some others that like i think they said 1800 pastors a month bail out of the ministry i heard that usually because of discouragement but you know that just seems unbelievable to me but what about those who have had a failure, they've bailed out, they're not following their dreams, they've settled for less, but uh, how can they work on getting their heart back? Yeah, I, I think what they've got to do is they've, they've got to do that first, and that is work on getting their heart back. Uh, see the counselor, um, read the books, become content in their own skin, uh, be able to be quiet, and then as they recover their hearts uh, and they establish healthy patterns to feed their heart, then realize that they are uniquely positioned to help other people. I mean, who else knows about this stuff except people who have hit the brick wall? Exactly. What I liken it to is a, is a 50-year-old guy who has a, a physical heart attack. 
and uh, works through that, changes his diet, his exercise, and all the other things, and, and then goes out with a balance and a maturity he never had before that, but now he does. Amen. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think about David in the Bible. Uh, he had a lot more to give, even though he failed, than he would have if he had been a, a total raving success all the time. <laughs> well, Peter, um, I uh, I really enjoyed watching you get your heart back, and you helped me so much in my own journey of the heart. Uh, what are you doing nowadays? I know you're uh, not really retired, but w- what are you doing now? We have the great privilege of taking care of our grandkids three days a week. Our daughter's in ministry, so we, we help keep that going by taking care of them, and that's a wonderful privilege. But I'm also in my second interim pastorate. And right now, this is amazing. I'm in Flushing, uh, even as I talk to you, uh, at a church, a Christian Missionary Alliance church as uh, interim senior pastor for the past two years in a a diversity that I have never known in my life and learning like crazy in the process. Uh, What's the name of the church in case there's a listener who wants to come hear you uh, speak some Sunday? Yeah, it's Queens Christian Alliance Church. It's www.qcac.org. Awesome. At Flushing yeah, in too. Flushing, New York. I love Queens. It's uh it's a microcosm of the world. I mean oh, you come amazing. up from the subway and you feel like you're in another country. And every uh, and block the, you're in a different country. I've learned I'm learning things about cultures that I just had no idea about. I love it, but I, I've got a lot to learn. Well thank you so much, Peter, for being my uh first online guest on the Leadership Answer Man. Glad to do that, Hans. God bless you, friend. God bless you too. Bye. Bye bye. All right. Thank you all for listening today to this uh, interview with uh, Peter Pendell. And uh, I will have some uh, resources on my website at theleadershipanswerman.com on this podcast show notes to some other books and resources you can go to. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. Would you do me a favor and write me and let me know what you thought of this show? You can go to leadershipanswerman.com or hansfinzel.com and just hit the contact tab and, and let me know if this helped you and what other topics you would love for me to interview other leaders and if you have some leaders you'd like me to perhaps interview uh, just shoot me that information as well and I'll try to schedule it I've got some exciting interviews coming up in the next few weeks so thanks for listening this has been Hans Finzel thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man remember that leaders make great things happen please send me your leadership questions that I can answer on a future podcast and I would love to have you sign up for my email updates at leadershipanswerman.com Remember that every follower needs a healthy leader. Keep listening and learning and go out there and make a difference with your leadership.